0: So what I'd like to share with you today, we go back to the book of Philippians, Philippians 3.10 through 21. Thank you, Julian. And um, let me read to you from chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to go actually right down to verse 4 of chapter 1. stand with me for the reading of the word. The word of our Lord, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. "...to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example." And note those who, also, who so walk, as you have uh, us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform a lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Heavenly Father, we just pray this day, Lord, what a passage, Lord God. What a wonderful, Lord God, guiding light into a life, Lord, of joy, of power, Lord God, of peace. I pray, Lord God, that you teach us your word. Let us sit at your feet like Mary, Lord God. Let us look into your face. Let us open our ears that we would hear. And Lord, give us a heart to take what you give us today and apply it into our lives, to be practitioners, Lord God. Doers, not just merely hearers of the word, that, Lord God, it would bring forth an abundance of fruit. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So for over 40 years, I have read many, many books. I've read like over 5,000 books. You say, how can you do that? Well, read three books a week. And then multiply it by, right, 40 years, and um, you'll come to a lot. But I've kind of come to a place in my life these last years where, you know, as, as Solomon said, the reading of many books, there is no end, and it wearies the soul. A lot of it can really wear you and wear you out. So I work pretty much now with a ratio of about 90-10. For every um, 10% of the time I spend in books written by authors, by earthly men or women, the other 90% is spent in the Word of God. read a lot of books on pop psychology, psychology, self-help books, motivational books, books that tell you how to be happy, how to find peace, how to find joy. But I'll tell you this, there is no book that can compare with Philippians. It is, it is the book, it is the pathway, it is the road to a joyful life. And literally, Philippians eclipses all the other books, I believe, that have been written on how to live a happy, joyful, peaceful life. And this chapter, again, is incredibly powerful. So I'm going to share this word with you, and then we're going to go to chapter 4 next week, and I'm only going to share two more messages with you from Philippians, uh, and then we'll wrap up the book. First thing, first thing in Philippians, okay, the passage we looked at, the miracle question. When a person answers this question in their heart of hearts, not in a shallow way or a vague way. When a person answers this question in their heart of hearts, it literally becomes the key that opens up the doors to joy, to peace, to success. I want to throw that in there, success. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, that I may know him. Paul here is saying, this is his Primary ambition in life. This is his goal. This is his mission. His ultimate objective that I may know him. And again, the word to know, Genosko, to know him intimately, to know his heart, and to know him in my heart, not to just merely know about him. Right? Salvation is to know Jesus Christ and to know God. John chapter 17, 3. That is eternal life. It is a relationship, an intimate, deep, heart to heart relationship with God. So here is again, this is Paul's ultimate want. It's his ultimate desire, his passion, his pursuit. The ultimate one. There are other things, and I'll show you this in upcoming weeks. There are other things that Paul wanted. But this is the ultimate want. His greatest ambition in life was to know Jesus Christ experientially. More than just acquiring, again, a, super, a superficial head knowledge. To know him. Paul wanted to connect with him. Paul wanted to live in close relationship with the Lord. That was his supreme objective. That's his ambition. He answered the question. He answered that miracle question. what I really want, what I want more than anything else, the supreme thing that I want is to know Jesus. And that is the master key that opens up the other doors. If you've been trying to open up the other doors, and they're not opening for you because you don't have the right key to open them, Maybe you're looking for happiness or you're looking for peace or you're looking for love or you're looking for joy or you're looking for success and you've got the wrong key and it's not opening those doors. And if you look at humanity, boy that's that's just so true. Because this is the master key that opens up the many doors. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, don't we all want to know the power of the resurrection? That life-giving power that filled the dead body of Jesus with the glorified life, that spirit life, that spirit power. We all want to, to have that supernatural power from above. That is that is again, that is the power to live a successful life. That is the power to live victoriously. The power to live triumphantly. It's the power to live a life that is unconquerable. Don't you all want that? Is there anybody here who doesn't? I'd say, likely then, we should do the funeral for you, because you're probably dead. And then notice what he goes on to say. He says, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Hold it! Did your brain just say that? I want to know His power. The power of the resurrection. There is no power of the resurrection without the suffering of the cross. You know the saying, I I hate the saying. No pain, no gain. I hate that. Many years ago, I was training in a, I mean, hardcore, ugly, smelly, dirty gym in this basement in Westwood, the North Jersey Sports Training Center. We had champion arm wrestlers, champion bodybuilders, we had champion wrestlers, professional wrestlers, we had uh, champion football players from the Giants and the Jets training in there, no women. Just men. And um, a bunch of animals. Grunting, screaming, spitting, sweating, smelling. It was a great place. (laughs) I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest places that we had camaraderie. The church needs to be like that. There was respect. There was admiration. There was fellowship. There was camaraderie. I don't think any of us were Christians. And then somebody came to me and they said, well, there's this job in New York at this very plush, elite fitness center. And um, you could go and you could work there and become a manager. So I went there. And it was pristine, clean. They even smelled nice. And there were these people walking around in in velvet sweatsuits. (laughs) Lifting the weights. With, with gloves on their hands. Men who wear gloves on their hands because they don't want to get calluses. And on the wall was this big banner that said, no pain, no gain. They offered me the job. And I said, no, it was just not a fit. It was not a fit. I remember driving home on the, uh, the West Side Highway with such joy in my heart that I didn't take the job because it was just not a fit. So I don't really like that saying, no pain, no gain. But there is a certain amount of truth to it. You can't have gain without pain. If you want wealth, there is no wealth unless you're willing to pay the price and work for it. If you want health, there is no health unless you're willing to discipline yourself in the way that you eat, in the way that you rest, in the way that you exercise. There is no power of the resurrection unless you pay the price of the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, we look at Paul's suffering, and it's really incredibly overwhelming. And Lord, I don't want that suffering that Paul suffered. I mean, he's he's beaten repeatedly, whipped repeatedly, shipwrecked you know, repeatedly. I mean, I, I don't know of anybody who has ever gone and experienced such incredible suffering as Paul, except for Jesus. So I don't think that's what, what God is saying. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. But to know the power. Of the resurrection you must enter in to a certain amount of suffering of Jesus you begin as a Christian when you open your heart up to the Spirit of God to experience the grief that Jesus grieved to experience the brokenness of heart that Jesus experienced to get angry At the things that angered Jesus. Maybe to experience some persecution. The loss of friends. Sometimes the loss of family members. And the entrance into an actual sacrificial life. To get to the resurrection, you must go through the cross. And there is no resurrection power without you bearing your cross right there is there is no Sunday without Friday. there is no resurrection Sunday without a good Friday. there is no empty tomb without the cross right it's it's Friday but Sunday is coming but a lot of Christians they want Sunday, But they don't want Friday. And they don't experience that power of the resurrection. To have the power of the resurrection, you must enter into a certain amount of the sufferings of Christ. I read this story of a woman who was diagnosed with terminal cancer And her husband asked her, what does it feel like to live each day knowing that you're dying? Because when he was watching his wife, she began to live these last six months with incredible focus, with incredible purpose. She began to do the things that she felt were really important that she had neglected in the years previous. how does it feel like to live each day knowing that you're dying? You know what her answer was? What doesn't feel like to live each day pretending you're not? Because we're all dying. We're all terminal. Some of you you it may be soon, some of you it may be later. Some of you it may come by surprise. Because in the years that I've been been here in in this pulpit, I've seen many people who were here one Sunday and didn't expect them not to be here the next. They're gone. To live live with that type of, of passion, to really get your priorities in order, and to answer the miracle question, what do you want? I've been counseling for over 40 years. I get people, they come to me, And they're hemming and hawing and they're unhappy and they're miserable and life is so unfair and they're a victim and it's their husband or it's their wife or it's someone else. And sometimes I just look at people and say, what the hell do you want? Really, what the hell do you want? Or maybe you say, what the heaven do you want? Because you really don't know what you want. And you have to answer that question. They're running after all these different things that they think are going to satisfy them. Things that they think are going to bring them joy. And they expect that they're going to bring them peace. And they could be material things. Sometimes they're running after people and chasing uh, after a relationship. But like Solomon said, they're just chasing after the wind. And they're unhappy. They don't have joy, they don't have peace. If you are really, truly a Christian, if you truly have the Holy Spirit within you, if you have truly been born above and have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, your primary want, the answer to the miracle question would be to know Jesus, to know Jesus. Is that your greatest desire? To know Jesus? If it's not, you should really stop. And you should examine yourself to see if you are truly a Christian and in the faith. Because that should be the greatest desire. Many, many years ago, I spent a lot of just time alone with God. like I still do. But searching, searching, and asking myself that question, what is my my mission? What is my objective? What is my purpose in life? What is it that I I truly, truly desire? What is it that I truly want? And I came up with this, to know to grow and to sow. To know God, primarily, and his purpose for my life. To grow and to maximize the God-given potential that he's given me, And then to take all of that and sow it into the lives of other people. And I thank him for the opportunity that he gives me here at Living Word Community Church and he gives me in many other places to do that very thing and sow into the lives of other people. You know, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what gets me up in the morning. To know to grow and to sow. But to answer, again, that question what do you want? What do you really, really want? Second part, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Not yet. You know when your kids are in the back seat? Are we there yet? Not yet. Philippians 3.13, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So Paul says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in his suffering. And he says here, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I don't have that full genosco knowledge yet. There's still so much more to be had and to be experienced. I'm not there yet. So what does he say? So I press on. You ever see people, and you see them in the church, and some of you are here today. You think you've arrived. You think that you're already there. You're fine. You have you have no need. And you know what, this? that's just your pride. That's... Your denial, that's your spiritual blindness. That's your spiritual deafness. Ever hearing, right? But never hearing. Ever seeing, but never seeing. Ever learning, but really never learning. And never advancing. Revelation 3.17, it describes the condition of the church. The last church before the rapture. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. That's it right there. I need nothing. Don't need to be in worship. Don't need to be in the word. Don't need to be in Bible study. Don't need to be in prayer. Don't need to be in an accountability relationship with another brother or sister. I'm fine. I'm rich. And the Lord here says, and... Do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know what happens to this person, right? They're just they're neglecting the things of God. They're fine. I'm okay. Every you talk to them, and they're like, "Hey, how's your spiritual life? I'm fine. I'm okay." I want to tell you, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. You want the perfect pastor? Go down the street. They'll even act that way for you. I can tell you, I'm not. I said this, I am the holiest person in this room. There ain't a person in this room will will com- compare to my holiness. I got holes all through me. And I thank the Lord that he shines his light on them every day to show me that, you know what? I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. The person who feels that they've arrived, the person who feels that they're there, what happens, right? All of a sudden, you see they're neglecting Word. Wait, by the way, worship, Sunday worship is the first thing to go. As soon as I see them missing, that person's in danger. And then I know this, and they're neglecting the word of God, and they're neglecting prayer, and then all of a sudden they're setting themselves up. There comes the temptation. Temptations, right? Career problems, money problems, marriage problems, sins, right? They have need of nothing. True growth in all the different areas of life, happens when a person knows where they are, they know where they need to get to, and then they press on to get there. But the person who thinks that they have arrived, they're deluded. They're the Christian life. You press on. Dioko. It's a word that carries with it intensity. Pursuit, passion, drive, effort, intensity. But it's like climbing a mountain. And this is what I find my Christian life is like. I climb the mountain. And all of a sudden I look up and it's just sky. And I'm thinking, I've arrived. I'm coming over the ledge, right? You're climbing right over the ledge. And all of a sudden you look up and you realize there's a whole other ridge To climb up. Oh, Lord. And you know how many times that's happened to me over the course of my walk with the Lord? Just when I think that I've arrived. There's a whole nother area of growth. What does that mean? I'm not there yet. Another day in the Word. Another day in prayer. Another day in Bible study. Another day working out my salvation with fear and trembling. Another day of repentance. Another day of confession. Another day of resisting the flesh and obeying the Spirit, obeying the Lord. Another day of fighting the good fight. Another day of accountability. Another day of pressing on. Because we're not there yet. I want you to just look at the person next to you and say to them, we're not there yet. Do it like this. Go, go go. we're not there yet. Look at the person on the other side of you and say, we're not there yet. (laughs) I hope you realize that. Because if you think you're there, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. We're not there yet. Let's press on. Third one. The one thing. So in verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing... One thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a word of focus. One thing. One thing. One goal. One prize. This one thing that I focus on. Forgetting what is behind. Because the past has kind of a way of holding on to you, right? Right? The past as a way of kind of holding on to you and dragging you down. And sometimes that's the, the negative past, the painful past. But sometimes it's also the positive past. You can't drive down the road of life towards the prize, the goals that God has set ahead of you, looking through your rear view mirror. Because you're going to get into accidents and you're going to have a lot of pain and a lot of trouble. You have to let go of the pains of the past. You also have to let go of the prizes of the past. The victories of the past. You know that, 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 that song by Bruce Springsteen? You know Glory Days? Right? I went to a, a party and met a friend of mine who was a baseball player back in high school. You know that song? And what does the guy do? He talks about, whoa, whoa, what is that? Give me people like this? Oh, the way it used to be. Oh, the glory days when we were in high school. Remember those glory days when we were in college. People say that in the, Remember those days, those days years ago in Living Work Community Church. This, today, is the glory day. And it's what you make of it. You got to let go of the past and focus on the one thing. Remember. Martha and Mary. Mary's busy cooking. and, and um, Martha's busy cooking. Mary's sitting at the feet of the Lord. And uh, Martha complained about Mary. She needs to get up and help me, right? And Jesus said in, in Luke 10, 42, there is only one thing, only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and will not be taken from her. Just... One thing. Have you ever seen the movie City Slickers? It's a good movie. Right, right? Jack Palance plays Curly, this, this crusty, rough, tough guy, a real man. A man's man. And um, he's leading these these city boys, these yuppies, on this cattle roundup. And uh, he's talking with Billy Crystal and he says, what, what gives you that passion? What gives you that, that drive? You know, you're so alive. You're so alive to the, you know, your life. And and Jack Klein says, just one thing. Just one thing. And he said, well, well, what is the one thing? He said, that's what you have to find out. Now, that's what a lot of people in the world spend an entire lifetime doing, trying to find that one thing. And you'll see them... They'll run from thing to thing, from hobby to hobby, from career to career, from church to church. They're still looking for that that, that one thing. As Christians who are supposed to be led by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes and and He helps us to really understand what that one thing is and then to to bring it into our lives because that's where we will find, again, fulfillment. You ever hear of Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete Maravich? How many of you like basketball? I want to tell you something. What you need to do, go on YouTube and put in Pete Maravich. I think that Pete Maravich, he and Earl Monroe, remember Earl Monroe from the New York Knicks? The two greatest ball handlers in the history of the NBA. There's no, nobody today can come close. But Pete Maravich and and Pete Maravich in college averaged forty-four points a game. I think that's still the record, NCAA record. In the NBA, he averaged twenty-five points a game. He had money. He had fame. The the women loved him. Right? I don't know if some of you remember his hair. Right? He did the hair commercials. uh, His hair bouncing, and he was just, just this cute, cute kid. I even liked him and I don't have a homosexual bone in my entire body. <laughs> he had fame, he had fortune, but he was empty. He, he was searching for that one thing. He got involved in the New Age movement, he got involved in the occult, he got involved in Buddhism, He got involved in Zen. He got involved with drugs, became an alcoholic, searching for the one thing that he didn't have. I want to read to you his testimony. On a November night in 1982, I sat in my den staring at the television. Around midnight, I turned off the set and quietly slipped into bed. And I pondered the impact alcohol had on my life and my family. For hours I lay awake, tortured by the memories. I had a revelation. I saw all my sin. I then heard a voice. Be strong, lift thine own heart. Be strong, lift thine own heart. The words were delivered as loud as thunder. Having experienced a transcendental moment, I prayed for salvation. With tears in my eyes I said, Jesus, I know you are real because I have tried everything else. And when I took God into my heart, it was the first true happiness I ever had. I am saved through the grace of God by Jesus Christ. I won every trophy and award in my life, and I always wanted more. Jesus Christ was placed on the cross to save us. The thing about Christianity is that it is your choice. You cannot work or earn it, and I understand it now. Pete Maravich. He found the one thing. On January 5th, 1988, Pete Maravich collapsed and died of heart failure at age 40 while playing a pickup basketball game in the gym at First Church of the uh, Nazarene in Pasadena, California. On the court with him was Dr. James Dobson. James Dobson did his funeral and James Dobson said of Pistol Pete Maravich, At his last words, just literally a couple of minutes before he died, I feel great. He found the one thing. And that became his focus. Right? Just one thing. Number four. Hold on to your gains. In Philippians 3.16 it says, Therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind and if we in anything you think otherwise God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless to the degree that we have already attained let us walk by the same rule let us be of the same mind. Notice the words in verse 16. Nevertheless to the degree that we have already attained what it is saying is don't backslide. Hold on to keep what you have gained. As you continue to press forward but but don't backslide. You know, backsliding or backsliding or backsliding life will manifest itself. And give you some observations here again as a pastor of these, you know, forty years. People will start to drop out of church. As soon as you see people dropping out of church, I'll tell you this: they got some kind of issue going on with God. It was, oh, it's with people? No, it's with God. Because I really don't have an issue with people. My issue is with God. And then what you'll see is they will just be losing. They're losing that fervor for the Lord. Their heart is growing hard. Their heart is going cold. They'll avoid worship. They avoid hearing the word because right? it's convicting. Well, one of the sisters in membership class last week, she said, you know, we love this church um, because you don't order down the word. She says, you, you know, you speak truth. I said, I said is, it, is it too convicting? She goes, no, it's a nice balance. I hope so. Because I don't want to become a, a, a legalistic preacher who just, you know, has beaten a snot out of you. There needs to be a balance between, right, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the grace and the forgiveness of God. But that, uh, they'll, they'll feel convicted. And they, they, they walk away. They walk away from ministry. And then you'll see them walk away from their family. They'll walk away from marriage. Usually there's a hold, adultery, pornography, alcohol, drugs. Also, they begin to hang out with people, godless people. And they, again, they just backslide. Falling back into the old life, falling back into old habits. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 to 13. And there's lots of passages that talk about this. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. When you see a brother or sister who's wandering away, I'll tell you, exhort them. They're in danger. They're in danger. So key thing here in in Philippians chapter 3, hold on to your gains. You may not be progressing as fast as you would like, but don't lose the gains that you have already made in Christ. Hold on to them. Protect them. Number five. Carry your passport. Philippians 3, 17-21. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven Where's your citizenship? Say that with me. For our citizenship is in heaven. Personalize it. For my citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Who are you? What are you? Who are you? What are you? do a, a, a program here periodically in the church and it's about really discovering and developing your identity in Christ and I begin by asking people to write down who they are and then to read it and it's so interesting how people will stand up and they will say, well I'm a father, I'm a mother, Right? I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. I'm a carpenter, I'm a lawyer, I'm an electrician, I'm a teacher. And there's nothing about who they are in Christ. The two major revelations of the scriptures is who God is and who we are. And the revelation of who we are is who a human being is outside of Christ. And then who a human being is in Christ. And I find out that 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 is extremely profound. That the Holy Spirit saying to those who are in Christ over and over and over again throughout the Bible is this is who you are. Because you will always act and you will always behave and you will even think and feel in accordance with your self-concept. That's modern day psychology. Your self-concept will always be guiding. If you have, right, people say, well, the person has a poor self-concept, of course, then they have poor self-esteem. So a lot of people getting themselves into trouble all the time, you'll usually find somebody who has a horrible self-concept and then they have horrible self-esteem and then they're acting out and sometimes doing horrible things. And I think that's there's truth, there's great truth to that. Today, modern you know social scientists and psychologists, you know, uh, you know, saying that. But we we will always act in harmony. And why does the Holy Spirit again? He is continuously trying to affirm to the true Christian who they are. That essentially, right? We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We need to grasp on to our, our our passport. We, we are no longer, right, citizens of hell. We are no longer, right? We are citizens of heaven. We, we are no longer under the dominion of the devil, under his influence, right? We are now under the dominion and the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer, right, under the control of sin. We are now under the control of the spirit and righteousness, And the Word of God is, again, continuously trying to impress that identity upon us. Because if you're walking around and you don't know who the heck you are, I'll tell you something. You're going to act like someone who doesn't know who the heck they are. So our identity in Christ is something that the Lord is continuously... And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. You are no longer citizens of this world under the rulership of the devil. You are citizens of heaven, and the King, Lord Jesus. My identity, right? My identity in Christ. The more the Word of God gets into you, and the more you are into the Word of God, that is where God essentially imprints upon our hearts. That's where God solidifies our identity in Christ. Then you begin to carry your passport, your heavenly passport. Not in your hand, but in your heart of hearts. And that becomes your identity in Christ. You know, Nehemiah, when they were trying to get him, come down and eat with us, Sambalot, Gershem, right, Tobiah. Come on down here, right? It's like, come and make a deal with us, these three evil schemers. Come on down, you know, eat with us, drink with us. Nehemiah had a mission. To build a wall. What did Nehemiah say to the three? Should a man like me come down to spend time with you? He knew who he was, he understood his identity in the Lord. The deeper and the more you understand your identity in the Lord, you're going to find again your behaviors, your actions, your thoughts, your emotions, they correspond and they follow. All right, last, number six stand fast. Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stiko. Stand firm. Don't be moved. Don't be rooted. I'm sorry, be rooted. Be grounded. Don't be uprooted. Ephesians 4.14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You know how many winds of false doctrine have blown through this church through the years. Just the wind. I mean, we. This is a fight. I'll tell you, Pastor Lou and I, and other leaders in the church have fought this fight. Because there have been these winds of, of just false doctrine that have happened through you know through, through the you know the past thirty years, they just they just blow through the church. False teachings, the trickery of men, Kunia. the fraud, the fakery, the cunning words of deceitful men. She says, "Stand fast in the Lord." Stand fast in his word. Let the word of God be, again, that plumb line. The plumb line tells us if the wall is straight or crooked. Let the word of God be the plumb line to test all things. When those, when those winds of doctrine would come through, hey, people say, Jesus isn't God. He said he was. He called himself the great I am. He says, he was has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the image of the invisible God. said, so Jesus said that he is God. Well, there's not a trinity. Well, Jesus believed in the trinity. He taught the trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor, we believe that there are many ways to God. Jesus didn't. He said that there was only one way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. He said, the road to hell is really wide, and the road to heaven is really narrow. The gate to hell is really wide, but the gate to heaven is really narrow. You know what? He is the gate. He is the narrow door. Oh, pastor, you don't actually believe that the Bible is the word of God. You know, we don't believe that. Maybe it may contain some things that God said, but we don't believe that it's the word of God. Jesus did. Jesus taught that the Bible is the Word of God. Called it Scripture. Acknowledged it as the inspiration and errant Word of God, the Tanakh of God. No, oh, pastor. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just a force. The Holy Spirit is not a person. No, no. Jesus believed the Holy Spirit was a person. In John chapter 16, he called him he. He called him him. He used personal pronouns to describe the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit actually has a will, that the Holy Spirit has an intellect, and that the Holy Spirit has feelings, the three key components to persona or personality. Pastor, we don't believe in hell. Do you believe in hell? My family and I, you know, we've been coming to the church for a few months. We, we don't believe in hell, that God would send people to such a terrible place as hell. Jesus did. Talk more about hell than he talked about heaven. The winds. These are, these are some of the winds that, that have come and have, have blown through the church. And you have the guardians who continue to measure all things by the plumb line. By the plumb line. So our conclusion, our keynotes. First, know what you want if you don't know what you want and you claim to be a Christian I encourage you to go to a quiet place and spend some time over the course of days you know when you're free time maybe in the morning maybe in the evening go to a quiet place and spend time and start to really look at your life in light of the word and come to understand what you want And if you're not a Christian I'll say this to you you ain't gonna know what the heck you want You've got to open your heart and take Jesus into it as your Lord and Savior. Turn from your sins. Then He will impress that upon your heart. Second, you're not there yet, right? We need to press on. We're not there yet. We need to continue to to press on in prayer, to press on in the Word, to press on in worship, to press on in the fellowship, to press on in Bible study, to press on in obedience to the Lord and working out our salvation. We need to press on because, you know what, we're not there yet the one thing focus on the Lord. make him your, your central focus. I understand you got to raise kids, you have a career, your grandmas and grandpas and mothers and fathers right you have, you have a lot of other things right? That's okay. but what is the one thing? that one supreme thing hold on to your gains. Because the devil will come and he will do everything he can to get you to backslide. And man, this world right now, you don't need need to look far to see his temptation and his deception in your life. You don't need to look far. It's coming at us every day from multiple different angles. Hold on to your gains. Number five, carry your passport. In your heart. Know who you are. Know your identity in Christ. And number six, stand fast in Jesus. Stand firm. Be rooted. And don't let the world or the devil or his hordes uproot you. Amen? Isn't that a great word from the scriptures? Well, God gets all the glory. I wish I wrote something like that. Never came close. Never came close. What a great word. That That is... a word you build your life on. It really gets practical. In theology, first couple chapters of the epistles, and then really practical teaching in the third and fourth, fifth chapters. And chapter three, chapter four, and this is just... This is where I seek to live my life. Philippians chapter three and four. And boy, it paid off some great dividends. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your word because it is truly wonderful. It is life-giving. It is a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for just coming into our lives, being our Lord and Savior, and giving us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. I do pray, Lord God, that you would just impress your word, Lord God, upon us. You know, You people go home today, Lord God, and they read this chapter through throughout the next week. Really let it sink in. Take time, Lord God, to meditate on it, even memorize part of it. I pray, Lord God, that there would be change and transformation. And for anybody sitting here today, Lord God, who has not opened their heart to take you in as Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. They haven't come to you, Lord God, in repentance and asked you to forgive them of their sins put their faith in you, that you are the only one who could take away their sins by what you did on the cross and was raised from the dead, that today would be the day of your salvation. Come to him. Receive his forgiveness and his grace. Let him wash you of all your sins and bring you into that rich genusical relationship with him. For all these things we pray this morning, in the glorious name of our Lord and Savior, the King of kings, amen.